Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His Kingdom. Janelle, one of our teachers, is going to teach. So guys, let's pray for Janelle. If you guys want to extend a hand. So God, thank you for our friend Janelle. Thank you for what you're doing. We ask for more, God, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Brady. How's everybody doing today? We made it through the road closures because of the chosen. (laughs) You found it. (laughs) Hey, before I start, I want to honor my dear friends, uh, Joy and Steph, who are visiting today. Give them a hand. They're amazing. So we are in uh, Matthew 24 today. And before we dive into the text, um, I want to tell you a little story about uh, a new friend that I made just this last month. His name is Bob. He's about 79, 80, maybe a little older. And um, I was sitting down with him because of my, the work that I do. I spend a lot of time in people's homes, and I, I get to hear people's stories a lot. And Bob was telling me, I don't know how he ended up telling me this, but he was telling me this story about when he was a kid, how um, he was on a, a dirt road by himself. And he described what he felt as if the hair on the back of his neck was standing up. He just knew something was following him. And so very, very quickly he turned around and realized he was being stalked by a mountain lion, which we all know is extremely dangerous, right? They normally pounce from the top and then just, just destroy, but this one was stalking him. And in that moment, he, he had to make a split-second decision about what he was going to do. And what he decided was, he remembered that in the past he had learned from some kind of training of some sort, or maybe his you know, dad or mom taught him this, but he had remembered that if you're ever attacked by a bear and you can't get away, you're, you're in its grip, you can actually stick your fist down its throat and choke it just in, in time to get away. So this was his plan, right? So he translates that to the mountain lion and he decides to turn around And he sees the mountain lion, and instead of trying to run, which would have been the wrong thing to do, he walks towards it. And as he gets closer to the mountain lion, he realizes, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do, but I'll do the same thing I know to do with a bear, right? So he walks confidently towards this mountain lion, the predator. And as he walks towards it, the mountain lion just turns around and walks into the woods, he tells me this story, and he goes, yeah, I was 11 years old. And I went, wow, you are extraordinary. And you're also extraordinary because you had the knowledge, you were so prepared that you knew what to do in a moment when you could have died. So literally, because of what he had stored up, in that split second, he was prepared, and he saved his, his life was saved, right? So... This relates, I I mentioned this story because this really relates to the passage that we're going to look at today. Um, 
before we read it, we're going to read it aloud. Um, it's a pretty big chunk of scripture. Um, I want to give you a caveat. So Matthew 24, you may already know this. Uh, Jesus is talking about the end of days, the last days. He's talking about um, what we can expect to happen before he returns, before he comes back a second time. And it's a, it's a very difficult passage. Um, here's my caveat. I grew up in a church in the 80s. It was wonderful. It was also very much obsessed with uh, the end times, like, like absurdly obsessed with the end times. I think in the 80s, people were really into talking about the rapture. and There's all these books and things like that. Everyone liked to guess about what that meant. People were trying to figure out the day Jesus was going to come back. Well, in this church, there were times when worship was so intense that I remember saying to my mom, no kidding, I was probably like seven, Mommy, is Jesus going to come back right now? Because it was so intense, right? And I was kind of scared. Here's my caveat about teaching um, about the end times. What I like is, I think just in general, reading and studying and learning about the last days reminds us that there's an urgency that we need to have about the way we live, right? That we need to be expectant for Jesus and his return. Um, it also connects us to the global church if we go there, right? If we allow ourselves to go there. Because the reality is there's a lot of people in the, in the body of Christ across the earth today who are experiencing the persecution that we're going to read about today. And it also learning about the end times connects us with this reality that we're always talking about here at Basilea, about the reality that the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. And we have to wrestle with that tension. And what Jesus is speaking about is essentially pushing us much closer towards the not yet, towards the fulfillment of his reign, right? The, the moment when he will be king of the earth and everyone will know and everyone will respond because of that. And we believe that that rain has begun now. And when we do things like pray for healing, we're announcing that the king is here. So that's why we do things like this. Even though it's uncomfortable, even though it's awkward, even though sometimes nothing happens, we pray for healing and we stop in a moment and we see someone on the street or here or in our lives because we want to announce to the world that the king is here that the kingdom is now, right? Here's what I don't like about end times teaching, just as a, as a caveat. I don't, I don't like that there's the possibility that if we let ourselves go here, it can stir up fear. And that's where I think the enemy would like to take this and push us. And so I just want to ask the Lord to cover us today. I'm, I'm just going to even pray right now. Holy Spirit, come. Lord Jesus, would you cover us with the love of the Father? Would you cover us in a way that fear can't even touch us? That there can be no influence of anxiety from your word as we talk about what, um, what's happening in the world and what will happen. So we ask for your protection in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's read the, let's read the text aloud. And uh, bear with me, it's a lot of verses. We're, we're going to only cover some of this today, and then Troy's going to pick up with some more next week. But let's go in Matthew 24, verse 1. Everyone read aloud in your reading voice. 
As Jesus came out of the temple and was going away, his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Then he asked them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered them, Beware that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Messiah, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All this is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Then they will hand you over to be tortured and will put you to death and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, and they will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of the increase of lawlessness, the law of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved." And this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the desolating sacrilege standing in the holy place, as was spoken of by the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one on the housetop must not go down to take what is in the house, the one in the field must not turn back to get a coat. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For at that time there will be great suffering, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no one would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and produce great signs and omens to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Take note, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the suffering of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, 
you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Amen. It's a long passage. Thanks for hanging with us. So let's go back to verse 1. I'm going to go, I'm going to spend some time in detail between verses 1 to 14, okay? And I think there's things that we can glean from this that um, are very important. Not just important for thinking of the end times, but important for our day-to-day life. So in verse 1, Jesus coming out of the temple, and he, he points to the temple, he points to the building, right? And he just says, he says, here we are, guys. You know what the reality is? Before you know it, this whole thing is going to be destroyed. So he prophesies that the temple itself, the place where they came to worship, the place that was known by his disciples and the Jewish people as the place to meet with God, He's basically saying, this is going to be obliterated, okay? And what's crazy is, not long after this, he's going to also talk about how his body will be destroyed and will be raised back up, and he talks about it as a temple. And they're going to accuse him of blasphemy for saying something like this. It's part of the reason that Jesus will be led to the cross, right? What's also crazy is, something happens about... 35, 40 years after Jesus says this. Does anybody know what happens? Jerusalem is destroyed. Yeah, Jerusalem is sacked by Rome. Jerusalem is sacked by the the Emperor Titus. If you go to Rome today, you can actually walk through an arch of Titus that has imprints of them sacking Jerusalem and taking down this temple. So he prophesied what would really happen. And I think he says this for a lot of reasons, but the one that I want to think about now is he's definitely got his disciples' attention at this point, right? And I think they realize, oh, this is actually very serious. So they ask him in verse 2 and 3. Let's go to the next two verses. Let's go to verse 3. So then when he's sitting on the Mount of Olives, so he's not that far away, now he's sitting, he's sitting on this very specific place. He's not just sitting anywhere. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives. Now, these guys who knew, knew the scriptures, knew their heritage, they would have thought something more of Jesus just standing on this particular mountain, right? Because the Mount of Olives was spoken about in the Old Testament as a very specific symbolic place. And if you, if you leaf back just a couple of books in your Bible to the Old Testament in Zechariah 14, you can read about this. Um, basically, in the last chapter of Zechariah, it talks about how the Lord would actually make himself known as the, the victorious king by standing on the Mount of Olives. And some crazy things would happen. Um, 
But one of the things that would happen, it says in verse nine of Zechariah 14, the Lord will become king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. And there's a lot of things that are spoken about in that uh, prophetic passage, and they would have known that. They would have associated the Mount of Olives with this thing that they had heard and read about, um, and particularly because they knew, they knew their history, right? So they knew their, they knew their prophetic history also. And it's our responsibility to know our history. It's our responsibility in the same way to be digesting this book on a daily basis, Because what we hold on to today is what we'll hang on to later. It's going to be what shows as what we've built our life on, right? So Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, and they come to him privately, and they say, tell us, when is this all going to happen? Tell us. What's going to be the sign of you coming and becoming this king who rules the earth and makes everything right for our people and brings a devastating end to our enemies? So they have in their mind what they think the end of days should be, right? We, maybe we do too. We're all weak in this way. And here's what's crazy about Jesus. He doesn't really answer them, does he? Jesus is a... He's a phenomenal, phenomenal communicator. He's such a good communicator that he often can take what people ask him and lead to the, to the part that they're really asking, right? So instead of answering their question, when they, they're basically saying, hey, can you give us some certainty here? We've been living in uncertainty as a people for a really, really, really long time. And we've been basically kept under a military rule for a really, really, really long time. Can you give us some certainty that this is going to end soon? And I, what I love about their question is they're just like us, you know? When we're in the midst of very difficult times, I don't know if, you're, if you've ever actually asked God this, but we want to know when is this going to end or when are things going to change? because we're all just looking for certainty, right? But instead, he, he takes their question and he, he basically diverts them back to himself. So instead of telling them exactly when this is all gonna happen, this is what he says. He says in verse four, he essentially says, be careful. He says, beware that no one leads you astray. So instead of giving them an answer of when they can expect the, the end of days to come, he points himself, he, he basically says, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be tempted to look away from me. Remember, he's been their rabbi. He's been the one that they've been, they've been following him around on foot for a very long time and learning from him and trying to understand what God means because of him, because he is, he's God with flesh on. And so when they ask him about the end of days, he, he says, be careful. And then he gives a command. He says, he says, beware that no one leads you astray, because many people will come and try to imitate me. 
and they will, they will lead many astray. But he gives a command that when you hear of rough things happening like wars and rumors of wars and you understand that these things are happening, he says, don't be alarmed. So in the midst of them asking about that when is the end of days going to happen, Jesus doesn't give an answer. Instead, he says, don't be deceived, don't be led astray, and do not be afraid. Okay? And he goes on to say, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes. This is all just the beginning of the birth pangs. This is all just the beginning of the earth rumbling to make ready for the king, to, for his rule to be complete. Now, if, if we're the disciples and we're having this private conversation with Jesus that is already very intense, because he started out by saying, this temple is going to be completely destroyed, and then they're asking him, so when is this all going to happen? What he says is, listen to me. Don't be led astray and do not be afraid. Don't be alarmed. Then he goes even deeper. He goes even deeper into the difficulty, right? And he tells them even more of what's going to happen. He says, you're going to be handed over. You're going to be tortured. You're going to be brought before kings. There's going to be many more false prophets. There's going to be people who pretend to be me. And not only that, but people around you are going to betray you. And he says that we can expect that the, that the love of many will grow cold because of this. What's crazy is that sometimes when we read the Bible, we can do this thing where we either distance ourselves from it or we feel like we're in it. And depending on how much you're digesting this book is going to really dictate where you are. But there are times when I've read this passage and I feel like, wow, that must have been really interesting for the disciples because that basically, that happened to them. It happened to all 12 of them except John, right? And John was exiled to an island called Patmos. So it's easy for me to look back at this and go, oh, yeah, they all, they experienced that. This is, Jesus said what was going to happen. Instead of for me to consider, this could happen to us. And it's in the moment when I stop and read the newsletters from missionaries that, you know, I support in other countries and actually hear of the things that they're dealing with. Or, you know, we... It wasn't really that long ago when Deborah's mom came and she um, had been arrested multiple times for leading a church in China, right? The reality is, is that most of this stuff is still happening throughout the world. Um, whether it's increasing, I don't know. But there's something in this passage that um, challenges me to check myself. Because we live in this super comfortable individualistic American world where we, we almost expect as a right that we will always be safe, right? And that it's owed to us in some way. 
But Jesus has said, you can expect this, but don't be alarmed, essentially because I am with you, and you, you will get through it, even if that means you die. It's hard words, right? But what we hold on to today is what we'll be able to hang on to tomorrow. So Jesus' very words in this passage were what his disciples were able to put in their knapsack and move into that difficult time that came very shortly after his, his death and resurrection, right? Here's what I love in scripture. So we've just read all of this very difficult material. We get to verse 13 and we see this word, but... but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, let me take a quick uh, detour for a second. So there's a small group of us who've been doing a Bible study um, early morning on Wednesday at a coffee shop in Highland Park, and um, we've been studying the book of Hosea together, and it's been a blast. One of the fun things about the book of Hosea in the Old Testament, which, again, is only if you're, if you're leafing back in your Bibles, it's only just a few pages back, because it's at the end of the Old Testament, Hosea is this uh, extremely poetic book filled with metaphors. It's super meta. So if you're into like jumping back and forth between ideas, Hosea is your book. And all throughout the book, there are these turns. So we're going one way and we start learning about the fact that um, God is frustrated with his people. He sees them like a prostitute who's unfaithful to him. And then we turn very quickly and hear him say something extremely tender in the midst of feeling, essentially God feeling um, the pain of his people being unfaithful. He, he just continues to say these beautiful, tender things to them. And then he'll go back on a rampage talking about how unfaithful they are. And then there's another turn. And this happens probably like 20 times throughout the book. And But what I love is that if you can see both, if you can hold both intention in scripture and stay there and not try to just be in the nice parts, but sit in the, in the more difficult spots, you can truly experience the fullness of the, the turn, right? So let me just read one of those turns for you in chapter six. It says, come let us return to the Lord for it's he who has torn and he will heal us. He is struck down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His appearing is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the showers, like the spring rains that water the earth. He will come to us like the showers, like the spring rains that water the earth. Guys, this is our hope. The, 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 this passage in Matthew 24 is very difficult because there's so much of the reality of just real life in it that's extremely raw. But our hope is, and our hope is active, that Jesus will come to us. He will come again a second time, but that his spirit will also come to us when we ask him to. It's why in, at Basileia, which just means the kingdom 
in the New Testament, by the way. It's why we're constantly talking about this reality that the kingdom is both now and not yet, right? So as we're looking to the second coming of Jesus, in the same way, we're asking him to come now. There's this word in um, Aramaic that I'm going to throw out, and then I'm going to bring us back to the passage and wrap this up. So this word in, Marana- uh, in Aramaic called Maranatha. Have you guys heard this word before? It's kind of obscure. It's only in the Old Testament. Excuse me. It's only in the New Testament once. But it was used by the the early church as like um like a liturgical word. Like they would say it to remind themselves of something. What's crazy about this word is that. There's two ways of translating it that are very, very close but different. So Maranatha, some translate it as, come, Lord. And others would translate it as, the Lord has come. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I just kept coming back to this word. I actually didn't know that. I thought it just meant, come, Lord. It felt like the Lord was bringing us back to this word because this is where he wants us to live. And as we consider, so we consider what he's asking us to live in the reality of this, the kingdom that is both now and not yet, we're equal parts calling out to him, come Lord. And also, in the same way, we're equally saying to him and to everyone around us, The Lord has come. And in this passage, it feels like he's saying this to his disciples, right? He's implanting the hope that he is here and he is coming. So when you get to the end of your Bible, When you get to the very end of this, the very, very last chapter in Revelation, what does it say? Does anybody remember? Connects to this. That's why I'm bringing it up. Come, Lord Jesus. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. It says, come, Lord Jesus. So this is the posture that Jesus is inviting us to have daily. Not just daily, but as a church, as a community. Because what we hold on to today is what we'll be able to hold on to tomorrow. So what I'm going to continue to ask us is what are we holding on to? What are we feeding ourselves? So let's go back to Matthew 24, 13 and 14. I'm going to wrap this up. So Jesus says, but, this is the big turn, right? But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then he goes on to say, and this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And there's a lot beyond this where he goes on to talk about, here's some specifics of what's going to happen. And, and then he's going to come back and reign. But I want to focus on this because the reality is Jesus has already told us what's going to happen. 
He's already told us what to expect, and he's given us an anchor in himself. And he is our hope, right? So this, the end times talk is actually something I didn't know as a kid, and I'm still living myself into. When we read and study and consider the end of days, and whether we're in that, we're, we're definitely in the phase now. We don't know how close we are to the very end, but we're, we're definitely in the last days. When we consider that, it's actually a very hopeful thing because we know we're getting closer to every single nation. It says in other parts of the Bible that every tribe and tongue will actually hear, hear about Jesus and experience his restoration before he comes back second time. And I believe there's people in this room that will take a big risk and go to some of those places, learn languages they can't speak now, and bring the message of the kingdom. Because you, you know what's beautiful about this? This isn't just about talking. The message of the kingdom is not just talk. The, the message of the kingdom is power and love. It's about restoring wholeness to everything. So the work of the kingdom and the, what, what we're about at Basileia is partnering with God to bring wholeness back to all things. It's why, we, it's why we do things like praying for the sick. It's why we do things like taking care of people who have less than us. It's why we do things like making sacrifices to love people that are difficult to love because we're about restoring wholeness to all things. Yeah, I like it. Okay, so last little picture here. So this is a bag that I have. I'm gonna ask uh, Harry to help me root through this. If you know me, you're not allowed to call out what this is. So um, would you just look through this and just tell me some things that you see? Yeah. This bag I keep in my car at all times. Beef jerky. Beef jerky. Okay. There's some uh, one dollar bills. Very excellent. And an excellent bag. Thank you. Knee <laughs> uh, support. Knee support. Okay. What do you see in uh, What do you see in here? You got tape, not duct tape, but pretty darn good. Good tape. Okay. What else? You got TP. TP. Uh, plastic, bag. plastic bags. Bandages. Bandages. And uh, some protein bars that need to be replaced. And then what's this? You got a radio. Radio. And then changes of clothes. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna stop right there. Does anyone have any idea what this bag is? Go bag. Go bag. Go bag. Okay, wait, Suze. Okay, yeah. What is it? That a go bag. And what did you say? Survival kit. Yeah, what's it a survival kit for? An emergency, but in most importantly, earthquakes, right? So in Los Angeles, there's no, there's no question we live in a place where we will experience earthquakes, right? So I have this bag. I have another thing at my house that has more stuff in it. This is like my preparation bag. Okay, I keep this in my, I keep this in my car because I just don't know what's going to happen. If there's an earthquake, I want to be ready. I want to be able to like, do first aid. I want to have a change of clothes. I have a radio. I have to make sure there's batteries in it. (laughs) 
I also need to make sure there's water in it because that's very important. Um, guys, what I put in this bag, what I hold onto in this bag is going to determine how I survive in an earthquake, like a really bad earthquake. Because if there's a really bad earthquake, it's most likely 911 is not going to work. So we're going to be on our own. So in the same way, what we hold onto today in our hearts and in our lives is what we'll be able to hang on to later when the difficulty comes, right? When all the poop hits the fan. And I don't know if this is going to be in the last days type suffering, but one thing we're guaranteed, we're all going to have tragedies. And what we believe about God when things become very difficult tells us what we actually believe about God and what we have, what we've, how we've prepared. So I have a friend, um, I actually have had a number of friends who have battled with cancer at a young age. And they, um, these particular people have, they, they've known Jesus. And they've talked about when they were diagnosed with leukemia or other inoperable brain tumors, they talked about walking through cancer as showing them more of who Jesus was because it was so raw. There was nothing else that mattered. They're facing death, right? And what they had stored up in terms of what they knew of Jesus from meditating on scripture, what they had memorized, what they could hold on to was what took them into that difficult season. Some of them died, some of them are still alive. But the reality is, we're all gonna undergo suffering. We're all gonna die. We just don't know when. So the question is, what are we putting into our preparation bag, so to say? What are we holding onto today that will take us into tomorrow. I mean, and I'm asking very specifically, because um, I think that even myself, I have to ask this question. What are we storing up? If, if tomorrow we no longer had cell phone service and we couldn't use our phones and access our Bibles, and then our Bibles were taken from us, what do you have stored up in your heart? I'm asking very, very seriously, because this is a reality for the global church. There's our brothers and sisters throughout the world. They, they can't have a Bible in some places of the world. And then for God's promises, the things that he's, he's spoken to you in your heart, do you go back to them? Do you discuss these with your friends to remind you of what he's told you? Because we believe that God still speaks today and that the and the word of encouragement is, is for us. We have to remind each other of what he said. So what we hold on to today is what we can hang on to later. What are we storing up? How about everybody stand with me as we close? I'm going to have Troy come up also and lead us into some prayer. If you wouldn't mind, um, just put out your hands if you feel like it. You don't absolutely have to, but we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and illuminate our hearts and encourage us. So just say with me, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. 
Come, Holy Spirit. God, I invite you to come, and we know you're here. We're asking you to come in, in greater measure and encourage us. And then for some of us, Lord, we're asking you to um, shake us. Show us where we are, we're holding on to things that will do us no good tomorrow when difficulty comes. Jesus, we repent for, um, we turn away from things that are worthless. We really, really want to. We need your help in this, Lord. We're asking that you would give us a deeper commitment to your word and your words. We're asking you to give us a deeper commitment to taking care of the marginalized among us. We're asking that you would make us look more like you, Jesus. So would you come in the quiet now, Lord, and illuminate and show us something? Would you encourage our hearts also for the hope that you will come again and that you, will, you have come? We say Maranatha. Maranatha.